Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. And Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. Okay? Very important. So sons in this culture were very, very important. And so when she has Reuben, she basically communicates that this is what this child means, that the Lord has seen me, and now my husband is going to love me. Verse 33, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, it's because the Lord has heard that I am not loved, that he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. And again she conceived, and when she gave birth to another son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. In verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and she stopped having children. Now, there's something symbolic there, and I'll come back and pick that up in just a minute. But let me break this story down for us over the next several minutes, and then let's, let's draw some truth out of this for our lives this morning. This story is obviously different. It's not connected to our culture at all. This is not how we do life. It's not how we treat our daughters, at least I hope not. Um, the culture is just so far removed from us, very, very ancient in how they responded to, to this. But we do have something going on that we see from time to time, and that is there's a love triangle. And this love triangle involves one man and two sisters. There's obvious some, some things going on on the periphery to kind of put this all together, but at the heart of it, at the emotion of it, at the angst of it, is a love triangle. And so... When it, when it comes down, and of course I just read it all, all to you, but there's two sisters involved, Rachel and Leah, Rachel being the younger, and the Bible indicates, I'm not trying to be ugly, but he indicates that Rachel was the pretty sister, and Leah was a little challenged in this area. And so Leah's name, when you look this up in the Hebrew, it means weary. It means tired, and a name meant something, and so her name even communicated that maybe she had this appearance of just being fatigued. Maybe she was a little, and forgive me, but a little homely, a little doop-de-doo. And so the the name... I'm going to be in so much trouble at the end of this. Yeah, sometimes I get nasty emails. Yeah, this is one. But also in, in the Hebrew, it means weary and tired, and it gets, it gets worse because it means wild cow. This untamed animal. 
just wild. Maybe it was, you know, it could be associated to uh, her personality style, maybe just un- unruly, uh, maybe somewhat difficult to get along with, strong-willed, I don't know. But compared to Rachel, whose name means you, E-W-E, meaning a female lamb. So even if you compared wild cow to young lamb, I think you get a metaphor of what's going on between the two sisters. So wild cow compared to that just adds insult to injury as to what's going on. And this phrase, she had weak eyes, really breaks down to say she had no luster in her eye. There was no sparkle. It was just you would look at her and it was very dull. But it goes on to say, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. That translates into Hebrew as hot. Okay. You can check that out later. So this is how many people, if we look at Leah and the weak eyes and the situation, and you can look at this and say, man, that's so unfair. And this is how many people see themselves. So let's start to build a connection to you and I this morning with this old story. We can hear about what's going on with someone, or we hear the applause of one person to another, or we look on social media and you scroll through it, you start your day with it, maybe you end your day with it, and there's this comparison trap we can fall into because we start to look at, at the Leah's and the Rachel's of our world, and it's not a far step to look and go, someone is doing better than I am. Or someone is leaps and bounds ahead of where I would like to be personally. Someone is more attractive. Someone is more charismatic. Someone else has better behaved children. I know that's never happened to you. Someone has a deeper, a more diverse portfolio. Someone has better health than you do. Someone sees greater results. It seems like no matter what they put their hand to, it turns out well. Someone is living their life the way you want to live yours. And this becomes in some way a Leah-Rachel scenario without all of, all of the marital drama, but the ingredients are there. So you're able to look and you go, man, my eyes are so weak. My life has no sparkle or luster compared to them. And I have to wonder how... Leah must have felt through this story, and we know a little bit by the way she named her children and spoke about them, that child after child after child, even though male children were very important in this culture, did not change Jacob's heart. So she was always the one who bore children, but never the one who was really loved deeply. And you can think of all the emotional things that would tie into this. She had to obey her father in this culture or face very harsh consequences, possibly even being stoned to death. She had given herself to Jacob and then has to endure two indignities. Number one, he doesn't want her. He never did. It was a trick. She could have been given to some man who loved her, but her father and culture has now spoken, and she has to get in line. She has to follow through. 
but her husband does not want her. The second indignity is one week after her marriage, he brings Leah into the picture and they have a second marriage. And all Leah can do is stand by and say nothing. In verse 30, it says, Jacob lay with Rachel also and he loved Rachel more than Leah. This is very easy for us as, as a reader thousands of years down the line from this story to read this, to briefly go over it, to say, poor Leah, and let, let, let's move on. But if she were in the room today, what would she talk about? If she were here, if she had the microphone, what, what would she say about her pain and her anger and her resentment and how she secretly shook her fist at her father and at Jacob, many nights maybe, stealing away to her tent to cry by herself, to ponder her thoughts. Maybe she considered leaving, packing up these children and just going and trying to start over in a different place, in a different culture. Life is not fair for Leah. And I want to pause because if, if we take a moment to assess our own lives and we look over our story, whether it's something in the past or it's something right now, or it's going to be something in your future, life is not going to be fair with you about something. Someone's going to hurt you, and it's not going to be your fault. Someone's going to lie to you so they can get ahead or have something advantageous to make themselves look better, and it's not like you wanted it to happen. It's not like you asked for it. You didn't sign up for it, but it's going to happen. There's going to be some point, past, present, future, where you're going to look at your life and go, that part of my life, that season, that story, that person was not fair to me. There's going to be a little part there that's protected, that's calloused, that shows some life experience. This is Leah. Living her her life out with these boys in tow, uh, trying to do her best, trying to win the love of someone whose heart is not turned toward her life is not fair. Her insecurity list is long. Her sister is more captivating. Her husband lay with her but did not love her. But there's a plot twist. Rachel, the pretty one, the gorgeous one, the keeper of Jacob's heart, cannot have children. And it's hard because I think if it were up to Jacob, Leah would just take care of things. She would do what women did in that culture, just take care of stuff while Rachel and I live our lives and raise these boys. You do you. We're going to be us. The whole thing was a, a mistake. But Jacob is tethered to her because he loves these children and he wants to have boys to carry on his legacy, but he struggles with even the involvement of Leah in his life. And the Bible says, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he said, I'm going to do something for you that your sister cannot do. Now, let's, let's take this just, just a second. It's a, that the Lord would look upon her and see the situation is beautiful enough. To know that in a very dark time in her life, the Lord sees. 
and he knows, and he gets it. And life isn't fair, and he didn't cause it by his own hand, and he didn't orchestrate it, but he's going to use it. He's going to use the pain. He's going to use the sorrow. He's going to use the, uh, the, the lies. He's going to use what your dad did, and he's going to turn it. And he gave her a gift, the ability to bear children, specifically boys. He says, this is what I'm, I'm going to do for you. And I'm going to intervene. And I'm going to get involved where you're hurt. And I'm going to get involved where you feel left behind. I see you. And I can't help but wonder in modern times if that same language is not what the Lord is communicating to us. Obviously, I could go on a 15-minute rant about how he saw all of us, thus the, uh, the cross, that while we were yet sinners, he died. I saw you. I see what, what you're up to. I know your heart. I know your future. I know the plan. I know how all of this ends. So I'm coming, and I'm going to rescue, and I'm going to communicate my love to you. It's going to be more than a sermon. It's going to be more than poetry. It's going to be an action for what greater love hath the man that he would give his life for his friends. And I'm going to show you that. I see you. Maybe some of you need to be reminded of that this morning. That amidst a situation right now that's not fair. Maybe it doesn't look anything like Leah, but it's not fair. God sees you. And he's a bringer of gifts. So we have to look at these boys for just a minute because this becomes the apex of the story. So Leah, it says, becomes pregnant, gives birth to a boy whose name is Reuben, and it means, behold, a son. Or, you take that word behold, it simply means look. Look, a son. Look what I did. Look what I'm giving you. I have, with our first child, given you the gift of legacy. Reuben, thank you. And Leah expresses the essence of his name. She says, it is because the Lord has seen my misery that surely he will love me now. Now that I've given him a gift, now that God has given me something, and I, in turn, turn to Jacob and say, here is my gift to you from God. Will you love me? But rejection continues. He didn't love her, and she conceived again, and this time she bears a second son. And Simeon, whose name means heard, as in the Lord has heard me. That I am not loved, she says. That he has given me two. So he has given me Reuben and Simeon. A double portion of the legacy. A double gift that I can take to Jacob and say, look, your two sons. The Lord has seen me and gifted me. And the Lord has heard. But she still was not loved after giving birth to two sons. So she conceives again, and this time she bears Levi, whose name means attached. It means you're part of me. You're with me. You're, you're in this. You're part of us. You're part of this story. Her explanation of Levi's name is, now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three 
sons, but that didn't work either. Now watch this. There's about to be a shift in her heart. I've reached out and I've tried with this three, three times. I've given you Reuben and Simeon and Levi, and it hasn't changed you one bit. And now she has a fourth son. And by the time she gets to this fourth son, it seems as though she's given up on Jacob. Time has gone by in such a way that she gets it. Acceptance has taken place for her. Acceptance that life is not fair, and I'm not mad at God about it. I can't help the genetics that I was given. No, I'm not as as beautiful in form and lovely as Rachel, and I'm okay with that. I got these four boys. They are my life. I love them. I'm going to live out my days for them. Jacob and Rachel can do whatever they want to do, but I am going to serve these boys. And there's a shift in her heart, and she names this boy Judah. And when you look up Judah in the Hebrew, it's one word, praise. So her first three boys are like, listen, this is hope for me, and and there's going to be an attachment, and, and maybe my husband will love me now, but now all that's over. And she's like, I've got this fourth son, and I've given birth to you, and the only thing I want to do right now is to give God thanks. Thanks for my life. Thanks for my family. Thanks for my story. Thanks that I'm still here. Thanks that even though life is unfair and unruly, and that I've been given a deck that I don't always like to play, I am going to give God praise. i just name him Judah. This time, that's what his name means. This time I will praise the Lord. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us with a similar challenge. We can keep on using God's gift in our life to try to please someone around us, to try to turn a circumstance, to try to appease something, to try to win someone's heart, to try to win the favor of other people, or we can get to the place where we accept that life isn't fair, God didn't do it, he wasn't wringing his hands, making my life miserable. Sometimes life just gives you what what it gives you, and you've got to choose in those times to praise God for your story, for all of it, for every chapter, for every letter, for every crossing of of a a T. You've got to be able to say, I'm going to give you thanks for all the times that I was weary and tired and fatigued in my life, my life uh, lacked luster. For all those times I was scrolling through and wishing I was someone else. I'm going to give you thanks for that, for my life. For this gift that you've given me, I'm going to praise you. Let me show you how the Lord is so amazing. Each time, I want you to look at Leah's faith for a moment. Each time a son is born, she refers to God. Her circumstances obviously have brought her marital misery, but her view of God was was one of trust. Leah bears two more sons, Issachar and Zebulun, plus a daughter named Dinah. In her latter years, Rachel is able to conceive and has Joseph. And she dies in Bethlehem, bearing the twelfth son of Jacob, whose name is Benjamin, the only one Joseph wants to see when his brothers come. 
And Leah outlives Rachel. She dies. And we're not told when Leah died, but we know she was buried in the cave at Hebron with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebekah. In fact, Jacob in his last dying words tells us the startling news. He says, and it was there that I buried Leah. He leaves instructions that he wants to be buried, not with Rachel in Bethlehem, but with Leah. In the end, Leah has won Jacob's love. Looking back, I'm very tempted to say of Leah, what a tragic and difficult life. It's so difficult, and so many people in life were unfair to her. Her father created an awkward marriage. Her sister resented her. Her husband did not love her until late. However, it is the life of Leah that demonstrates God's ability to restore and the individual tapestry which God is weaving, not only for them, but for us. So let me quickly read Leah's legacy to you. The priestly line comes through Leah's third son, Levi, the Levites. They were all priests. And in that line comes Moses and Aaron and Miriam. Without without Leah, there is no Levi, so there is no Moses. There is no Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There is no Ten Commandments. There's no Exodus from Egypt. There's no prototype of a high priest upon which Jesus would model his intercession ministry for us. Leah's descendant Caleb was on the short list of those who entered the promised land after Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. At age 85, 45 years after Israel's failure to enter the promised land, Caleb said, I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was then. He probably got his spiritual tenacity from Leah. Centuries later, the elders of Bethlehem pronounce a blessing on Boaz, another descendant of Leah. Boaz is the great-grandfather of King David. It was Leah's fourth son, Judah, praise, who became the ancestor of King David and Solomon. Without Leah, we have no Judah. Without Judah, no Boaz, no David, no Solomon. Without them, we have no Psalms, no Proverbs, no Song of Songs, no Ecclesiastes. From Leah comes not only all the high priests, the Levites of Israel, but also the kings of Judah. So without her, we have no Asa, no Jehoshaphat, no Uzziah, no Hezekiah, no Josiah. Additionally, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, all major prophets, descended from Leah. Ezra, the scribe, was a priest, also from Leah. Ultimately, all the key figures in the Christmas story, yep, from Leah. Mary and Joseph belong to Judah, the fourth son. Elizabeth and Zechariah belong to Levi, the third son. Their son, John the Baptist, likewise, from Leah. Anna, the older lady in the temple who gave thanks to God upon seeing the baby Jesus and spoke about him to all looking for redemption of of Israel, was from the tribe of Asher. Asher came from Zilpah, Leah's son. The land of Zebulun is the sixth and last son of Leah. That included Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. 
This all comes back in a big, huge way. Most of what we call our Bible, most of our heroes of faith, our characters of the Jewish culture are all from the womb of Leah. And so this morning when I look at at this unfair life, Yet how one gift from God turned into many gifts who then turned into other gifts and other gifts and other gifts who then roll forward and become gifts to even us sitting at this church at 2851 BB Cavs. It begs a question. What does God want to do with your unfair situation? Because you've got an option. You can give up. You can walk, walk out. You can walk backwards. You can, you can throw in a towel. You can say, I quit it all. This is too much. And life is unfair. And it's more than I, I can take. Or you can wait on God who sees you to put his hand into your life. And watch one gift. And your physical eyes may never see the total outcome. The gift of God may outlive your life. Because of your faithfulness, your grandchildren might be blessed more than you. But it's a gift of God. It's a testament to your faith. So this is a story of believing in God more than in circumstances. On the cross, Jesus bore not only all of our sin, but he bore all of our questions. I like to think that when he asked, God, why have you forsaken me? This was him joining us in our question marks for life. Things we don't get, things we don't understand, things we can't put under a microscope or find on Wikipedia. And we've asked these questions, not only why this, but why me? Doesn't take long to go through the stories in this room and realize that some of you lost people way too young. So you've said goodbye to friends on a fluke. If that car had just been three seconds later, they would have completely missed each other, but they didn't. Why? Our doctor said that only one out of 100,000 kids get this. So why was it yours? say, why, why this? A good friend of mine this week reminded me of a close friend of his that he lost a year ago to a drunk driver. He was an incredible person. Three very young children. Two of them probably will not even remember him. He was so young. They're so young. Killed. His life taken away. We've all got a story that we've said, why this? Why me? How did this happen? How did I get here? 
And if we look at it through that lens and we just let it, just look across the room laterally, there's no doubt there's a lot of unfairness in the room today. Some of you got left by people you loved for no reason at all. All you got was, I just don't want this anymore. And that was it. Some of you lost careers that you worked hard to get, prepared yourself, loved it. You loved going to work, just folded. Some of you have kids that haven't spoken to you in a long time over something that happened a long time ago. God, why? Why why this? Why the unfairness? Listen, the ultimate test of faith, then I'm going to wrap I'm going to wrap this up and pray over us. The ultimate test of faith, hear me, is not how loudly we praise God in the bright times, but how deeply we trust him in the dark times, in questionable times and disbelieving times. Leah's life did not feel complete until she had Judah, until she had praise. And I believe everyone in here today has a reason to have a Judah. You got a reason to thank the Lord. You got a reason to keep hope alive. You got a reason to come out of this. You got a reason to look at at the year ahead and go, that's going to be better for me. Because worship is not a sound, it's a substance. And Leah, watch this, chose to praise God from a place of trust, not from a place of truth. Just because you worship God in the hard times does not mean that you are saying or ignoring the fact that life is hard. But she chooses to worship from a place of trust over knowing what her life is really like. And I would challenge all of us here this morning, if you're right now parked in a season of life that feels unfair, seems is unfair, we said, Lord, I'm just going to praise you anyway. I'm just going to thank you because I know you know the full story. You've seen the end. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, we're, we're with the Lord. Paul said to be absent from the bodies, be present with God. We know how, how this thing ends. So God, I'm going to praise you right now in the unfairness. And I'm going to ask that Judah be in the deep recesses of my life, a place of thanks, a place of gratitude, a place of praise. All right. Why don't you bow your heads with me this morning? All across the room.